Hey there, this is Bo James, and on behalf of the Wix Church of the Nazarene, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I believe there is something for you in this message, and I pray that it will help you grow your faith. Enjoy. So, Pastor Mark, we are so glad to have you here today, and we look forward to what God is going to use you to give us today as a message. So, thank come. You, And uh, again, we're just thrilled to be here. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about something that we all have, and it's weaknesses. We don't like to talk about weaknesses because we don't really want anybody to know about our weaknesses. That's kind of just a private thing. But in our humanity, we have weaknesses. And sometimes these, I'm not talking about, when I'm talking about weaknesses this morning, I'm not talking about weaknesses that lead to sin. I'm just talking about being human. And we have weaknesses as Christians sometimes that come about it could be related to health. It could be related to job situations or family or, or, or school or work or, or something with financial issues, emotional things that happen in our life. Uh, maybe, maybe the word that I, I would use, and this sounds maybe a little crazy, but what are those things that just kind of plague you? Things you have a hard time praying over, a hard, hard time dealing with sometimes. And just don't know exactly what to do with it because it doesn't go away. You know, sometimes I pray about things and I just want to, okay, Lord, you take care of it and let it go away. But I don't know about you, but sometimes mine stays reoccurring situations. And what do you do in that moment? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us this morning uh, about that. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to look in the scriptures. But in that, I want you to understand when we're in, when we're dealing with all of this, we don't make decisions based off of our feelings. Feelings are not a good barometer to base facts off of. But what we've got to base our, our life on and decisions on at this time is what does God's word teach us? And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, let me read this passage of scripture for you. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of God, said, Even though I have received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, if you back up a couple of verses, you realize that the Apostle Paul, either in body or through vision, was given this unbelievable experience of seeing heavenly things that he could not even come back to earth, more or less, or come back to hum humanity or people and express it. And so the scripture says, because this was so great, and it'd be such a temptation for Paul to boast and be prideful, that God allowed him to have a thorn in the flesh. Now, notice the words that it wasn't self-inflicted thorn. Sometimes we have self-inflicted thorns from bad decisions, things we do. But this was a decision not of Apostle Paul. It was something that God allowed into his life, a thorn to come about, which seems almost like, Lord, if you don't mind, I just soon not have any thorns. But sometimes God has a purpose for thorns. Amen, church? <laughs> it's not pleasurable, but sometimes God has purposes and plans for them. And it's kind of like the scripture in James 1, 2 through 4. It reads this, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind come your way, 
considered an opportunity for great joy. Anybody want to say hallelujah on that? It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. What in the world does that mean? It means that when we go through these things and we have these thorns in the flesh and when we feel this weakness that sometimes happen, what we come to understand that when we have Jesus, we have all that we need. Because no matter what else is happening out here, I've got Jesus and that keeps me on solid footing. Um, when the scripture was talking about this thorn in the flesh, there's been a lot of discussion on what was that thorn in the flesh. What was that? Well, Dr. Ralph Earl, a theologian that's going to be with the Lord years ago in the Church of the Nazarene, said he thought that the thorn in the flesh was maybe chronic malaria or it could be poor eyesight. Sir William Ramsey, historian of the past, said that he thinks it's chronic malaria. He said that region of the area that the Apostle Paul was ministering in, malaria was very common and very well he encountered malaria. They say this type of malaria, when you're under stress, kind of inflames. It, 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 it happens. And said that the malaria can also cause a person to have a depressed feel at times. You think not the Apostle Paul, but I mean, that's just what this can cause. It said that it also can bring extreme headaches. And they listen to this. They describe the headaches in this fashion, like a a red hot iron thrust through your forehead. Now, I've had some bad headaches, (laughs) but I've had none. I don't think that would be described in that fashion. But that may be what the Apostle Paul is dealing with, with the thorn, with a thorn in the flesh. Now, this messenger that is sent from Satan to torment him, the word torment, listen to this, means closed fist. The mindset is naturally that the enemy at times would come and just hit him. Have you ever felt the blow of the enemy on your life? I think any Christian has felt that. And so when we find this word that the the enemy attacks, and yet with the enemy attacking, what do we find the Apostle Paul doing? He starts church after church. He starts church after church. He doesn't give up. He keeps pressing on. What do we find the Apostle Paul doing? We find him even in prison. He's writing New Testament books that we have now. In prison, he's not using that as a moment of going, oh, Lord, why me? Anybody said, don't raise your hand, really, but anybody said, oh, Lord, why me? Paul's in prison and he's writing these letters. Who knows how many people have been saved and sanctified because of the message that God gave the Apostle Paul in the various areas that he was ministering to and starting these churches. Unbelievable. And yet we find that the Apostle Paul is under this... Uh, affliction of this thorn. The enemy is allowed to torment him at times. And yet this man is the one that wrote, listen to these words, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Church, do you say hallelujah on that one? (laughs) No matter what's going on, how does that happen? It's because Jesus is his centerpiece. You know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You remember in Philippians 3.8, he talks about, he said, all that I had prior to gaining Christ is in comparison to Jesus like garbage. All this good that I had is like garbage after gaining Christ. So what happens here, the apostle Paul realizes that Jesus is everything to him. 
He even said these words. These just, this just is really something. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. What's he saying? I want you to have joy. But he not only said it one time, he said, I want you to have joy, joy. And I want you to have joy, joy, because your joy, joy is in Jesus and not in all this stuff that's around us. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I have a lot of things around me that affect my life. Amen. We all do. There's a lot of things I love about things that surround me. There are some things I don't care for that surrounds me. But so many times, again, human, these things, good things, not so good things, but they can distract me from the main thing. And the Apostle Paul is saying, here's what I want you to understand. Nothing's wrong with these things necessarily that are around you, but you make sure that Jesus always stays top priority, always stays the focal point of your life. And no matter what you go through, what you're going to understand is, as he's going to teach us in this passage of Scripture, that God's going to be there for us. Now, Paul reveals, just like we do, what did it say that he did? He prayed that this thorn would be removed from him. Matter of fact, the scripture says he begged the Lord to remove the thorn. You been there? I have. Lord, please. Lord, you know this situation. Lord, you know that circumstance. You know that problem. You know what's going on in our life. Lord, please. And the Lord gives an answer that I don't want. And he prays again. And he said, but Lord, please, you know this thorn. Remove this thorn. Lord, I beg of you to remove this thorn. The Lord gives the answer. He didn't care for it. Have you ever done that? You prayed and you prayed and you really don't like the response you're getting. And then he prays the third time. And this time it just kind of clicked. Because what was those words? My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Folks, I got to tell you, uh, we need to embrace those words. God's grace is sufficient for us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situations, what I hear from the Apostle Paul, what I hear from the Word of God is this. My grace is all you need, no matter what. <laughs> In this, the word grace literally means that which affords you joy, loving kindness, what brings favor to you, pleasure, delight. So what, what, what the word grace really means when God says this to Paul, when God says this to you is you're praying about circumstances and then God says, my grace, he's saying, my joy is on you. My favor is on you. My delight is on you. My faithfulness is on you. So my grace, no matter what's going on in your world is enough for whatever we may be dealing with. My grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for me. Would you say that with me? God's grace is sufficient for me. We got to hold on to that and believe in that truth. And then this word sufficient, sufficient means this, be possessed by unfailing strength. Sufficient means be possessed by unfailing strength. So God's grace, his joy, his favor, his blessing, his goodness is upon us. And his grace will always be sufficient. Listen to this. God's grace, unfailing strength is in you no matter what. God's power, unfailing strength is in you no matter what you go through. Do you believe it? It's there. And so when Paul's writing to us, he says, my grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Spurgeon said this about this sufficiency. 
He said, I understand this passage to mean that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient in the midst of the thorn to uphold us. It is sufficient in the midst of the thorn to comfort us and to strengthen us. He said that God's grace is sufficient. This is big. Not only will he be able to comfort us and strengthen us, but he said, I will use that thorn for my good in you. And then he said, this grace is sufficient so that you can triumph over the thorn or through God just delivering you from it. Because God does sometimes deliver. I don't want you to think that that never happens because it does happen. Then it's, Spurgeon said, I wish I could define sufficiency better for you. But he said, if I could, it would become finite. But he said, My, God's sufficiency is something that is inexhaustible. You cannot put so much demand on God's grace being sufficient that somehow it just goes dry. God's grace is sufficient no matter what. It'll always be there for you, to be there to feel you, to help you. And then we move to the power of God. And then Paul says this about God's power. God's power works best in weakness. You know, You've gone on interviews before, I'm sure, and, and sometimes in an interview process, they'll ask you, tell me your three greatest strengths. And then they'll ask this question, which this is the one that always gets me. Uh, tell us your three greatest weaknesses. Well, if I'm applying for a job, I don't want them really to know what my three greatest weaknesses are. You know, I just like to keep that to myself because we don't really like to talk about weaknesses. And that's understandable. But... The Word of God is saying to Paul, with this thorn that's there tormenting him like a closed fist beating him, he said, I want you to understand, Paul, that in the midst of what is making you weak, I'm going to reveal my power through it. That brings me great comfort. To know that God can work in the midst of things that are so difficult in my life, and I don't even see a way out at times, that God says, no, don't, don't, don't be ashamed of what's going on because it's, you didn't sin. You've done nothing wrong. It's just life, and you've got a thorn in your flesh right now. And if you will just give that to me, you'll find my grace is sufficient. And not only sufficient, it'll be an exhaustible sufficiency, and that you're going to find my power wants to work right in the middle of that and bring glory to the God, the Father, so that everyone can see the goodness of God. That's pretty powerful. In this, when he says that um, God's power is there to reveal himself and his strength to be there for us, understand that this thorn in the flesh was not to punish Paul. It wasn't to really make him weak. Sometimes I think we think when life's issues are going on or things are happening or difficulties come, that like... I mean, if I'm responsible and I've made bad choices, that's one thing. But I'm just telling you, you know this as well as I do. A lot about life, it's just things that happen that are attacking and you had no choice in it. It just hits you. And in those moments, the enemy wants to come and see if he can somehow or another just put the hammer down with the closed fist, torment. And God is saying, no, no, no. That's when, that's when, that's the moment that I really want to shine through your life. How are you going to handle the moments? Listen, I can handle mountaintop experiences all the time. 
If everybody agreed with me and would do what I'd want to do, it's a happy life. Amen? But what about the valley? And what do people see when the difficulty comes in me? I praise him on the mountain. I was talking to a friend of mine that his son died of COVID a few years ago, a year, a little over a year ago. And he said these words to me. He said, I'm going to praise God in the good and I'm going to praise him in the bad because he's worthy of praise no matter what's going on. I don't want to be a fair weather Christian. I want to be one that's solid all year round, all the seasons and all circumstances and all situations. And that's what Paul's teaching us. God's grace is sufficient. It'll never run out. And even when you feel tormented, when you feel like some pounding is going on, what you find is that God says that I want to work right in the middle of that. And I want you to see my strength be made perfect in your weakness. This word, uh, Paul said this in these words, he said, So I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. The word work through me means to reside in me. So I am proud to boast about my weaknesses because right there is where God's going to reside and dwell in me and be revealed in me, his power revealed in and through my life in the midst of this that's going on. So as God's power resides in you, what does that mean to you? What do you think about when you think about God's power residing in me? When you think about God's power, what comes to mind? I think about at creation. God said, let there be light. And there was light. I think about his power when the Hebrew children are looking at this huge Red Sea, Pharaoh's army behind them, behind them, and mountains on either side, and Moses raised the staff of God, and God separates the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground. That's the power of God. I think about the three Hebrew children. They're walking in a fiery furnace where it should destroy them, and yet the king says, didn't we throw three in there? And he says, there's a fourth that's likened to the Son of God. And they came out with not even the smell of smoke on them. I think about the power of God. I think about the Hebrew children where they're walking around the walls of Jericho. Six days they walk one time around. On the seventh day they walk seven times around. And they shout this great shout. And the walls came tumbling down. The power of God. I think about Christ when he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. He says, come forth, Lazarus. And this man wrapped in grave clothes comes walking out of the tomb. I think about a man with leprosy that there is no cure for leprosy. Don't touch him. He's unclean. And Christ touches him and the man's skin becomes as pure as an infant's skin. Looking at a blind man who can't see and he's saying, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And they bring him to him and the man looks in the eyes of Jesus and looks. No, he doesn't look. He comes to Jesus and Jesus looks into his eyes and he says, what must I do for you? Jesus knew that man was blind, but he wanted the man to activate his faith. He said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus touched him and he sees. When I think about the power of God, that's the power of God. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we get so wrapped up in what's wrong in this world and things that are happening in our life and what the news is telling us. And we forget that God still has all power. And he says that he wants his power to work in us, to reside in us. Do we understand the potential that we have within our lives that the power of Almighty God that said, let there be light dwells in you and me through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? 
Come on, church, we ought to say amen loud because that's fact. God's word says it's true that the power, what can happen with a church when we really believe that God's power works in our life? When we go to work, God's power is with me. When we go home, God's power is in me. When we go to school, God's power is in me. When we're driving down the road, when we're doing our thing, God's power is in me. And how can I allow whatever's going on in my life to shine as a bright light so people see in me God and not me? And that's what I want. I care less about what Mark Lancaster's opinion is. But I'm really interested in what God wants. And that his power would shine and move in and through my life. And that I could be all that he would have me to be for his glory. Now understand this. Who is a good example of what we're talking about? And as I studied and I thought about this, my mind went to Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah? Great prophet. Man, he's, he's kind of up here for me. <laughs> And if you go to, to, uh, to Kings, if you go into uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, we kind of have the beginning of that story. And, and what we have is the introduction of King Ahab. King Ahab was wicked. Amen. I mean, he was a wicked king. And he married a lady by the name of Jezebel. I'm not going to ask if any ladies are named Jezebel here this morning. It's not a common name that I ever hear in this world, but anyhow, Jezebel. And she was more wicked than he was. So when you get wicked and more wicked together, you really got something going on. And she worshiped Baal and Ashtoreth poles. She brought in her gods from the land that she came from. She was the daughter of the king of Sidonia. And so when she comes, they marry King Ahab, then bowed and worshiped the Baal and Asherah poles, built a temple in Samaria unto Baal. And so the Israel is just becoming so messed up, confused. Some want to serve God, but they also want to serve Baal. That sounds a little familiar. We want to serve God, but we want to do some other things too. And this, the world there was getting really confused. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that these are words that you never want to be spoken of you. But it says, the scripture said that Ahab did more to provoke the anger of God than any other king before him. He's on a real bad list right now. 17, chapter 17 brings in Elijah. Elijah, we know, came and God used him, the voice of God, a prophet, the voice of God. Elijah was used to go and tell King Ahab these words, King Ahab, it will not rain. There will be no dew on the ground until I say so. And there is a God, and it's not Baal, but it is the one true God, and you're going to see that he lives. Now, that's pretty strong words, huh? What do you think about going up and saying, it's not going to rain until I say so? You would look at that person and say, they're absolutely a nut. (laughs) But this is Elijah. And Elijah's coming before the king. And he says these words because he's moving forth in faith because God's laid it on his heart to do so. You know, sometimes God asks us to really get out of our comfort zone. Amen? If you stay in your comfort zone, you can handle it on your own. There's two, this is, hey, this, excuse me, pastor, I'm going off track here, but so many times, and I'm not talking about you, I'm just talking about some Christians, but sometimes we can get so comfortable in our own little world, in our own little church situations, and I don't mean little in number, I just mean in our church situation, that we can pretty much handle things without God. You know what I mean? There's nothing of great faith that we really need him to get involved in because we kind of got this thing figured out. I don't want to live there. 
I want to live outside of that realm, and I want to live in the realm of Elijah that just really believes God can do anything, and he's going because God's laid it on his heart to say, it's not going to rain until I say so. A little, a little over three years, God laid it on his heart. Go find Ahab. Tell him it's going to rain. But before that happens, there's going to be a pivotal moment, and we're really going to reveal who is the one true God. Now, when that moment happened, we know that all the prophets of Baal went up to uh, Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal. Ahab told the people of Israel to come and join them in this moment. And Elijah told them that the God who sends fire down from heaven would be the God who we serve. And Elijah, in the power of God, challenged the people with these words. How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? See, they're... they're They're not wanting to make the decision all out for God. They want to have a foot with Baal. They want to have a foot with God. Too many people want to have a way in the world and have a way with God. And he said, no, we can't live there. Between the two opinions, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If the Baal is God, then follow him. And the people were silent. And so Elijah had two bulls. He allowed the prophets of Baal. You know the story. I'm not going in detail. But he allowed the prophets of Baal to pick the the bull that they wanted. You prepare your sacrifice, you do your thing. So they did, and they prepared their altar, prepared the meat from the sacrifice. And we know that they prayed all morning and screamed and shouted. And eventually that afternoon, they kept going early afternoon. And finally, Elijah said, enough. And it was time for the evening sacrifices. He prepared his sacrifice. He went to an altar that had been broken down into the Lord, repaired it, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He then put the wood, put the meat... He dug a trench around it. it. You know, it's in drought condition. It hasn't rained for over three years, about three and a half. So he, he dug a, 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 a trench around it so that, so that um, the fire wouldn't jump out because he knows fire's coming. Amen? And then, you remember what he did? This is absolutely crazy. Drought conditions. The prophets of Baal could get nothing to ignite. And he says, listen, I want to prove that my God is the one true God. And what did he do? 12 large containers of water were poured on to the sacrifice. The, the meat on the altar soaked. The wood soaked. Water's no doubt in the trench. And then he prayed a 20, about a 20 second prayer unto the God of the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Pow, fire came down, consumed the sacrifice. Everything was burnt up. Nothing but dust was left. Uh, let me let me say this too. A 20-second power praying only works when there's been hours prior to on your knees. Amen? Don't you think that this thing means that, oh, I'm just going to pray this 20-second prayer, and man, God will jump. There's a lot of praying going on prior to, I guarantee it. And as he prayed and the fire came down, and then we know that the people, they shouted, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. And then... Elijah gave the order for the prophets of Baal to be put to death. And he went up on top of Mount Carmel and he put his head between his knees, between his knees and began to pray. So right now I want everybody to stand and put their head between your knees and start praying. Amen. Don't do it because some of you won't straighten back up. I'm telling you, it'd be a bad situation. We'll have to have a healing service probably over that. An unusual posture of prayer. Amen. I, 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 that's not my posture of prayer. But if it's yours, you go for it. <laughs> and he prayed. And he, then he had his servant up there. And he said, go look for a sign that it's going to rain. Servant went out and looked. Mediterranean Sea is out here before him. Nothing. We know that went on six times. He prayed, go look. Nothing. 
Go look, nothing. On the seventh time, you know what he said. He came back and he told Elijah, there is a cloud no bigger than a man's hand. Elijah, three and a half years it hasn't rained. And there's this little puffy cloud in the blue sky. It had to be a blue sky because it hasn't rained for three and a half years. It's just blue sky and there's a little puffy cloud there. He said, go tell King Ahab. In the terms that we use in the South, and I'm a Southerner through and through, no matter if I am an Alabama person, you can love me. It, he said, go tell him it's going to be a gully washer. Amen. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's Hebrew, gully washer. And so he, he went and he told the king, the servant went and told the king, get off the mountain because it is going to flood. It's going to rain. I love that other part of the story where it says, you know, that the king got in his chariot and he took off. And it says that Elijah, right after it says, Elijah tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran and he outran King Ahab in his chariot. Hey, I, that, that's, a, that's another power of God thing going on right there. But anyway, so King Ahab, he went home and he told his lovely bride Jezebel what had happened to the prophets of Baal, that Elijah had killed them, had them all, 450 prophets of Baal put to death. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with these words. May the God strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you killed them. We're talking about Elijah now. Elijah's receiving this message. Elijah's a man of God. Elijah's a prophet. Elijah stood before 450 prophets of Baal and, and called down fire from heaven through this prayer that he prayed. He's going to stand strong. Amen. He's very human. It reveals this weakness that Paul was talking about. And what happened? Fear filled his life. Now understand too, um, sometimes Christians, we're weary. We're exhausted by life. And that's kind of where he is. And when that news hit him, the emotion of fear just gripped his life. Scripture teaches us, and I am so thankful for this story, because I, I, I need this, because I, I can identify with some of this. It says he ran into the wilderness a day's journey. And then we get the real feeling of Elijah. Listen to these words. See if you can identify at all with this. Words he says as he's laying under a shade tree. He says to the Lord, I have had enough, Lord. You ever said that? <laughs> then he said, just take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have died before me. Lord, I'm wore out. There's no sense in this. This is ridiculous, Lord. I've had enough. <laughs> well, the good news is that he's still a godly man in that moment. Good news is he's still a prophet. The truth is he's revealing a weakness. He's worn out. And unfortunately, he's scared of Jezebel. But you don't want to mess with a mean woman. Amen? <laughs> That's another story. That's another story. Don't go there. Uh, but um, <laughs> so, so we find him there and understand that. Uh, understand, un please understand this because the devil wants to magnify this in a person's life at this moment. The devil wants to come in at this moment and make you feel like you are nothing. You are worthless. Here you are in the middle of the wilderness and you're complaining and you're moaning and you call yourself a Christian. 
Don't you know that the devil was attacking him at this moment? These moments are not our defining moments. These are just moments of life. And at that moment in the life of Elijah, what did God do at this moment? Did God send lightning down and say, okay, boy, I've had enough of you. You're gone. No. You know what God did? He let him sleep. Sometimes you just need to rest. And then, after a little bit, the angel woke him up and said, you need to eat something because you haven't eaten probably in a while. You need to eat something and you need to drink some water here. And then what did the angel do? Go back to sleep, Elijah. You need to sleep some more. And he slept more. And then after that, the angel woke him again and said, you need to eat and you need to drink because you've got a long journey ahead of you. Now, here's the pivotal thing. Here's, here's, this is very important. At this moment, Elijah ate, he drank. He has an important decision to make. Am I going to stay under this tree of despair and moan and groan? Or am I, even though I may not feel like it, I'm going to get up and I'm going to follow the teachings of God. I'm going to do what God says to do, even though I really don't feel like it because I'm just worn out and I kind of want to stay under this tree of despair. But I know God is good and I know he's going to see me through. So I'm going to listen to this voice and I'm going to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And he got up and he went. Forty days, forty nights, he travels to Mount Sinai. And the scripture teaches us once he got there, that he went into the cave and he slept. (laughs) And then after a bit, he hears these words. What are you doing here, Elijah? I would love to tell you that at that moment, Elijah got to the Lord, started speaking to the Lord, and said, Lord, i got to be honest with you. I was just worn out. I was fed up. I felt like I was, you know, this, it just kind of came out of the blue, Jezebel and all that she said. And, but I've seen your faithfulness, Lord, and I'm here and I'm ready to go. Nope. <laughs> he said this. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel... But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too, Lord. Does that sound a little bit like that woe is me thing? Uh, At a very weak moment in his life, he needs to find out what Paul's teaching us. God's grace is sufficient. And listen to this. In 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12, As Elijah stood at the opening of the cave, it says the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Listen to this. God's not in all the noise. There's so much noise that distracts us. And I'm telling you, sometimes screaming in our heads are the, is the noise of the enemy that wants to say defeat, doubt, give up. You're not even worthy to be my child. How could you be acting like this if you're really a child of God? Noise. But what we find out in this passage of Scripture, that after the fire, it says, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. The gentle whisper. 
if you're going to hear what somebody's whispering, you got to be close. James 4.8 says, draw near to me, God, and I'll draw near to you. In the midst of moments of, of difficult days or hard times or situations, what we've got to do is not pull away. I've seen so many Christians in the midst of their valley, in the midst of their heartache, in the midst of their trial, instead of running towards God, they isolate themselves. And what the Scripture is teaching us, draw near, and as you draw near, you hear that steady voice saying, I am with you. Don't be afraid. I'm your refuge. I'm your fortress. I'm your rock. I love that rock out here that the gates of hell will not conquer it. I'm founded on that. You're founded on that. I love those words that don't panic before them because I personally go ahead of you and I will not fail you. You've got to draw near to hear the word of God as he shares with us and cares for us and loves us and find out that in my weakness, if I really allow God to shine, his power will come forth. Again, I don't know if Paul had malaria. I don't know if it's poor eyesight. I don't know what it was, but it was something undoubtedly that everybody realized. But in that situation, everybody knew what was going on with Paul. But yet he continued to press on. And people saw the power of God work in those moments. And people could do nothing but go, glory to God. Because God's power works best in weakness. You know, as a pastor, I pastored our church. I was going on my 29th year when all of this happened. So I've been used to one congregation for 28 and more years. And Sunday after Sunday, I go to churches, and most of y'all I've never met before. Some of you I have. And you look at me, and I look at you, and we're trying to figure each other out and wonder, okay, let's figure this DS, what in the world that means, what he is. But as a pastor, I knew my people. I knew what they were going through. Um, for 28 years, you know them. It's not about us and them. It's we. It's family. And now I come into you, not as an outsider. We're all brothers and sisters. But I don't know you. But God does know what's going on in your life. And I want you to, I'm not your pastor this morning, but I care for you. And I want you to understand that the enemy wants to take Moments that produce weakness to destroy and defeat. God wants to take moments of weakness as children of God, for children of God, and make it a place where He is more evident than ever before. And that His power works best in weakness. That sounds like something that's a paradox. But it's God. And I don't know what's going on in your world, but I know people... (laughs) That some of you have to be here and you sense this weakness. You're a child of God, but you sense a weakness. And today, God's grace is inexhaustible grace that is sufficient for all of us. Wants to shine in and through your life. Hey, I hope you received exactly what you needed from that message. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or you can always find us in person if you're in the area. 
If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find us on Tithely. Thank you to those who support our church. I hope you will subscribe and join us on the next one. And remember, you are loved. Thank you.